Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Listen to the new Thin Green Line podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Game wardens John Norris and Wayne Saunders talk about wildlife, the outdoors, law enforcement, environmental subjects mixed with current events and guests that are part of the Thin Green Line. And if you are one of those visual people like me, for $5 a month, you can see the actual podcast on Patreon.com. Just search the Thin Green Line podcast on Patreon.com and join us. The Copper Pig Brewery in Lancaster, New Hampshire, is brewing traditional and innovative high-quality beers, as well as serving a large menu of creative comfort foods appealing to all walks of life, with daily specials sourcing many ingredients locally. Charitable involvement and support of their community is the cornerstone to the Copper Pig Brewery's mission. Voted number one in New Hampshire by WMUR Viewers' Choice two years in a row, 2018 and 2019. Please join me at the Copper Pig. We love our children. We protect them. We guide them. We prepare them for life in the world. With all that we do, from deep in our hearts, we cannot control all things. Life-threatening illnesses and disabilities affect far too many of our children each year. While we cannot change the circumstance, we can make dreams come true. Dreams to provide hope, to provide spiritual healing and strength, to provide moments of happiness and relief in the hardest of times. We can give a glimmer of light and hope in a time of darkness and despair. Join huntofalifetime.org to help make dreams come true, to provide hope for children with life-threatening illnesses and disabilities. Hunt of a Lifetime is a nonprofit organization fulfilling dreams for hunting and fishing trips to youth 21 and under with life-threatening illnesses and disabilities. Visit huntofalifetime.org to learn how you can make a difference. Please join me, Game Warden Wayne Saunders, and other Game Wardens on our adventures protecting wildlife, saving lives, and having fun, all while serving the public and the natural resources of our planet. Listen to the tales and experiences of those who work in the outdoors while being entertained with stories about encounters with poachers, wildlife investigation, murder investigation, near-death experiences, search and rescue missions, wildlife interactions from Game Wardens around the country and around the world. When I retired, I realized I couldn't let go of that legacy, but rather wanted to share the passion, the commitment, and the stories of those men and women that call themselves Game Wardens. This is Game Warden, Wayne Saunders, and this is Warden's Watch. Warden's Watch, Episode 53, Part 2, Carlos Gomez. Carlos just continues on. He talks about the International Game Warden Magazine, Operation Cody, the praying poacher story is pretty pretty yeah, crazy. Great ones, John. <laughs> I, I, a guy that says you know he he's really religious and re- into church and stuff out there poaching, and, and the amount he was poaching is just 
crazy. But it was nice that his best friend who goes to church with him has the conviction to say, hey, this is wrong, and tells him, and he's not stopping. So when he's not stopping, he says, hey, I got to call the game warden. And that's how they engage that person, which uh, just stopped that whole mayhem. And Carlos breaks it down really nice because a lot of people out there think that we're just after the deer poacher. And he talks about when Oklahoma got devastated and hardly had any deer and why the deer are so right. important. So I think that was a pretty cool uh, way to go about it. Uh, the other thing, you know, just a heads up, he talks about suicide again, and he thinks there's a correlation between poaching and suicide, John. I don't know if you had any experience with that. I don't I don't really know that I had any poachers that committed suicide along the way, but Carlos is pretty convinced that there's a, a correlation there. You know, and there might be, and you know, that was something um, in, in the conversation with him that was compelling because I haven't heard that from anyone else we've interviewed. Mm. Um, or anyone else we've really worked with. But I look back on my career and I think about um, the wildlife violators that I found that were very depressed. Um, They had some hard hits in life. And I did have a couple that did commit suicide or disappeared um, in my patrol days, especially in Southern California at the start of my career. I don't know if we have a scientific correlation, but I can definitely say it. When someone's so despondent, you know, if they're not, you know, a sociopath or, or just so evil and so disrespectful of wildlife resources that they believe they're going to take and kill whatever they want, either for thrill killing uh, or for meat. And usually with hardcore poaching, it's thrill killing, I notice. But if you're, you know, down and out and you're just poaching and you're feeling kind of dark and uh, maybe you're so destitute that you're doing it to survive, perhaps, or you're just so depressed. I see where that can happen. And I've seen a couple of cases like that in my career. So Carlos is onto something there, mm. even if it's a case by case basis and maybe not a, a statistical demographic, but it just shows you the diversity of uh, what Carlos got into as a very comprehensive motivated game warden and what you and I saw our whole careers. You know, we, we literally got to be prepared for the unknown around the next tree. And that's what's so crazy about this job is uh, we've seen some bizarre stuff. And I know I'm uh, speaking for both of us when I say that. Yeah, no doubt. We just got off doing a a thin green line, and I want to give Alex Baer, the new president of the International Hunter Education Association, a shout out for doing the thin green line with us and supporting uh, conservation law enforcement. And that group supports law enforcement officers, conservation officers around the country with, you know, supporting them with hunter investigations. And we just go into that in that podcast. And that's a It was really a dynamic engaging because of our connection to hunter safety. Also, uh, he just is going to announce, and I I hope he's good with us announcing it, but they're going to do a virtual conference and try to include a lot more people this year, making it virtual. So uh, our hunter education instructors hopefully will be able to engage on a larger, more international basis than they ever have before. And it's exciting to have somebody new at the helm because, uh, (laughs) you know, you get that new boss with those new ideas and those new uh, achievements and we were there and I just, I like, I love his excitement. I love what he brings to the table and yeah, that was pretty dynamic one. So look for that in the future with a thin green line, uh, whether it's this month, next month or down the road, but certainly look for that conference coming up too. Wouldn't you say, John? Yeah, that one's huge. Alex is so perfect for the job mm. and his technological experience. And he's so progressive in, in, in how this organization has to move forward to reach so many people. And if COVID hasn't taught us anything, Wayne, it's taught us that we're going to do 90% of our work virtually now. Mm. And rather, uh, you know, and we're going to lose that interaction, that physical interaction and, and, and that dialogue, but we're still going to be able to reach people probably more so that because of cost, because of travel, because restrictions couldn't go there. Right. So when it comes to hunter education, the new generation, generation of post-millennial people we're trying to pull into hunter education, the conservation ethos. Alex is just amazing for it. Like we told him on the podcast, we're going to help with that through Warden's Watch and through the Thin Green Line. For our listeners out there, guys, help us out. You've made us uh, wide reach and bringing more people into the fold through the Thin Green Line and Warden's Watch podcast, but just take a minute to get onto Apple and give us a five-star rating for both podcasts because that just helps new people that have, that are looking for a podcast to watch go, well, this one's interesting. It's got a lot of good ratings especially our non-hunting or non-conservationist groups that like to hear this. And maybe it's going to have a good positive influence um, with everything you guys do for us out there. So take a minute and do that. We greatly appreciate it. And thanks for all your support because we couldn't do it without you. Geez, I couldn't have said it better. So episode 53, Warden's Watch, Carlos Gomez. Enjoy. Another case that just comes to mind 
that I'm very proud of for a variety of reasons. Um, you're probably aware of an officer that's retired from Washington named uh, Todd Vandevert. Now, Todd Vandevert was the editor of International Game Warden magazine. Todd has written about a half a dozen different books. I'm trying to think of what the title is of, of his first book, which uh, the Operation Jersey case, I do advertising for IGW magazine. So they did their own Operation Jersey story uh, in this issue that just came out. So nice. they're talking about it in, in and, and just to uh, explain IGW. to our listeners, Carlos, International Game Warden is a magazine that actually they can get if they're interested. So they can just uh, probably Google that and they can get a subscription. And it's, it's Game Wardens from around that, that, That's an excellent, con- excellent point. Country and, and around the world. International Game Warden, I appreciate you doing that, Wayne, because I'm bad about not, not thinking about uh, – you know, the advertising for these things that are, I think are important. International Game Warden Magazine is an officer's magazine, but unlike a lot of officer's magazines, this one is available to everybody in the mm-hmm. public. And there's a lot of colleges, you know, that are studying fishing game. Absolutely. Um, conservation topics that, that subscribe to this, but you can be a sportsman, a student, a, a game warden, it doesn't matter, police officer, whoever that wants this magazine. And and subscriptions can be obtained through uh, Marion Hoffman. And uh, you just, just Google International Game Warden. And she's a retired officer out of New York. Yeah, she's outstanding a business manager. Lady. Yeah, I and, know and her email is subscription at igwmagazine.com. I think that's a great point to make to subscribe. But IGW Magazine has been around for a long time. Mm-hmm. And Todd Vandevert just retired as the editor from being the editor of this magazine just uh, a few months ago. Let me see here. There's several game wardens that write different books and stories, and they're all good. But Todd became a personal friend of mine. It's called Operation Cody, and uh, that was his first book. He's done six books. And uh, Todd, when he was a investigator, and he's been the officer of the year in the state of Washington and, and a well-respected uh, game warden, when he was uh, – an investigator uh, in his last years in the state of Washington, they realized that they had a um, an under-the-table uh, marketing problem going on with their wildlife out of Washington. And so uh, Todd spearheaded, along with another female officer that posed as his spouse, as, as running a wildlife chop shop. The same way the car thieves are cutting up vehicle parts and selling them to chop shops, Uh, under the table, uh, salvage and so forth, Uh, Todd was running a chop shop for wildlife. And and they had people coming to them with all kinds of stuff. And he started advertising on the internet about uh, having these, these, you know, this interest in buying stuff. And certain things were legal. Mm -hmm. So he could advertise the things that were legal and, and, and just float a little innuendo out there about other things that they that they uh, admire or appreciate and people start saying, Hey, I can get you bald eagles if you want them. <laughs> hey, uh, you know, gall- gallbladders, I can get them all you want. He was dealing with a lot of stuff that they had trafficking in the state of Washington is what caused them to set up their, their sting operation. Uh, but their sting operation grew because, because it was on the internet and I forget what the name of their store was, but uh, their storefront, it's in the book. But he talks about this particular deer case that I'm going to tell you about in Operation Cody in his book. It's in it's in his book. But at the time of the writing on the book, he did not have a closure to my case. My case hadn't hadn't come to pass just yet in the courts. And it goes back to what we're saying again about the guys that just won't accept when you say you got them and you're trying to wrap up a case, they just mm-hmm. keep being bullheaded and, and making, making the ante go up. Todd and I knew each other uh, initially because when he was officer of the year for the state of Washington, our chiefs of, of law enforcement uh, negotiated a swap. And we sent our officer, uh, officer of the year to Washington to ride along with those guys for a couple of weeks. And, we sent, and they sent Todd to Oklahoma to ride around with us for a couple of weeks. And so Todd got to know a lot of Oklahoma guys and we showed him a good time and, and got him into some little uh, hairpins every once in a while. And, and I think he, he caught a paddlefish and he shot a turkey and what have you, you know? <laughs> so we, we, we all had good relations and did things. So I met Todd uh, initially at that deal. 
when he was here. And then, of course, through uh, NAWIA, which is the North American Wildlife Enforcement Officers Association, NAWEOA, owns International Game Warden Magazine. It was through NAWIA that I met Todd again because I was the uh, representative for Oklahoma to NAWIA for a number of years and went to all the conferences. And I was at a conference, and I'm going to say it was probably Montana, when uh, Todd was there with his wife and I was there with my wife, uh, here was Todd with all this facial hair and this long, long shaggy ponytail sticking off the back of his head. And uh, <laughs> he knew who I was, but I didn't recognize him, you know, cause he mm-hmm. looked like some hippie. And, and I was like, you know, uh, do we know each other? And he laughs, you know, <laughs> and anyway, he tells me all about operation Cody and so forth. And, and I got to meet his lovely wife, Judy and, And so anyway, long story short, we made good friends there. And then later he would become the editor of IGW magazine while I'm doing the advertising uh, sales for the magazine. So we we communicated a lot in that respect. But it was in the time between his sting operation and him becoming editor that he was starting to write Operation Cody because he was doing this chop shop business. And he, he, I guess he probably figured he was going to write a book someday. And he didn't know he was going to do five more books after that, but he got busy writing. But in, in Operation Cody, he writes about the fact that uh, this internet stuff started bringing in sales from all over the United States. There were people calling him and saying, hey, I'll ship you this, I'll ship you that. So he would contact the various states and tell them, that, you know, I've got a guy trying to sell me a bald eagle or something from your state, yada, yada, yada. So then we'd work him on both ends mm-hmm. of the case. You know, I guess this is kind of one of those things you could say was meant to be because here I've given you this history of me and Todd's relationship. And now Todd Todd calls and says, there's a guy out of Tulsa, Oklahoma, who's contacted me and he wants to sell white-tailed deer antlers. Uh, deer skulls, deer racks. Now, in some states, that's legal, but in the mm-hmm. state of Oklahoma, it's not illegal. It's not legal. So, <clears throat> and and I've had this debate with even other other game wardens in states like, say, in the state of Kansas, as I understand, it's legal to sell deer racks if they're obtained lawfully uh, in the state of Kansas. And uh, as I explain it, just like when we talked about the deer restoration programs that have happened over the last hundred years. There was a time we had deer. There was a time we wiped a deer out. And the reason they got wiped out was because everybody was putting a dollar sign on Mm. meat and antlers and horns and hides and all kinds of other things. Well, Oklahoma says we don't want to repeat that. So we're not going to go down that road where we start selling our trophy deer skulls because Mm -hmm. we've actually had the feds and had cases here in Oklahoma where guys were literally driving around shooting trophy deer, cutting off the heads and just selling those heads. It's an ugly business and they leave a deer to waste and it causes nothing but, but uh, problems for landowners and sportsmen and everybody. So Mm -hmm. anyway, we don't go along with that in Oklahoma and it was against the law. And Todd did a little quick research and says, Hey, this guy's from Oklahoma. He's trying to sell me deer skulls that are trophy deer. And, uh, he's, he's wanting like 250 bucks a piece. He's got a half dozen of them and yada, yada, yada. And we've been talking and I see that it's illegal in Oklahoma. So this is your guy, Carlos, this is in your County. (laughs) So he, he sicks me on the guy, so to speak and says, Hey, do you want to, you want to work this deal? So on my end, we did, we did a little undercover conversations and tape recorded some conversations with him, uh, because this guy was also advertising on Craigslist that he wanted to sell these deer skulls. And in Oklahoma, if you just advertise a deer skull for sale, we can write you the ticket. We don't have to make really? the deal. We don't have to make the sale. Wow. Advertising is illegal. You can't offer for sale. You can't offer to buy. You know, game wardens are very reasonable, I think, about saying, look, we just don't want this to happen. You mm-hmm. didn't know, take it down. Right. We don't want to write you a ticket. Just take it down. Right. Occasionally, occasionally it might be a game violator, somebody we've caught before doing stuff we know he knew better and we write him a ticket. I'll tell you that in, in Tulsa, me and my partner developed an, uh, a habit when anybody's selling stuff for sale. And it could be an owl, it could be an eagle, it could be a, a deer antler, whatever. It, I, and I said eagle, forget that. If it's something that they could lawfully have and they got it some way and they could possess it, but they can't sell it, 
we would just explain to them, uh, you know, we'd call them and say, hey, I'm, I called because you're advertising selling uh, a deer head for sale or an elk head for sale or whatever. You mm-hmm. can't do that in Oklahoma. I'm a game warden. This is, you can verify my phone number that I'm calling you from. Check that with the Department of Wildlife on the Tulsa County Game Warden. I'm just calling you as a courtesy mm-hmm. to tell you I don't want to have to come arrest you. I'm going to give you uh, benefit of the doubt. You didn't know better. Take the take the ad down and don't do it. And we politely tell them that and advise them of that. And they'll typically say, oh, I didn't know. I didn't know. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate you being so kind. I'll right. take it down right away. Yeah. Then in about uh, 12, 24, 36 hours, the other game warden will call them from another phone number and say, I see on Craigslist where you were selling the deer head. Is it is it gone? Have you sold it? Is it, you know, you got any more of them? Mm-hmm. Or what's the deal, you know? Uh, well, a game warden told me that I couldn't sell them, but I'll make you a deal if you just keep it between us. <laughs> you know, so so, the, so then the guy doesn't have any recourse yeah. in court. He can't come back and say, I didn't know better. Right. Uh, it was a setup or whatever because, you know, he got warned mm-hmm. and he still did it. So then in, in, in those cases, we don't show any mercy. We're going to write mm-hmm. you the ticket. I've Give caught them the guys chance. selling deer antlers. Uh, at a gun at a gun show where they've got a deer skull there and they've got a fifty dollar tag hanging off one of the tines and I'll just be walking up and down looking for the illegal stuff and I'll tell him say hey partner this this deer rack right here this nice ten point you got for fifty bucks I'm gonna have to confiscate that <laughs> uh, you can't you can't offer that for sale in Oklahoma oh I, I'm from Kansas I'm from Kansas I didn't know I'm sorry I didn't know uh, I'll, I'll take it down I'll take it down. And I said, well, you know, we, we want to be reasonable. We want to be fair and nice about this and stuff, but it's a common problem in the state of Oklahoma. We prosecute a lot of times if you'll take it down and just, you know, not do it. But it's kind of funny because, you know, when you're talking to the guy, all of a sudden he says, this is my grandfather's. It was in the attic and, and, and my grandpa's deer. And, and it didn't mean anything to me. So, you know, we were just getting rid of it for 50 bucks. And I'm like, Okay, you're crying about us taking grandpa's rack away, but you were going to let it go for 50 bucks. Right. You know, it's like I'm, they want to hide that they're, they're sentimental, let me keep my deer rack, but they also want to sell it for a right. certain amount of money. But anyway, we caught that guy at the gun show making a deal on that rack in the parking lot with an undercover guy. Uh, that after same you day. told him. After I told him and he said he'd take it down and not sell it. So somebody wow. came around and said, where was the deer rack? And he said, meet me in that parking lot. There's those guys that do this stuff. Yes. Well, back to Todd Vandenberg and the chop shop. Mm-hmm. Todd had me on this guy. I called him. You got a Craigslist deal. I had a woman making the call, not myself. The woman was making a call from her phone. I, I, I looked into this guy's history. He was pretty pretty sharp. Uh, he probably made about uh, 150000 a year. Uh, his wife was in medical sales and she made about 350 a year. So they made about 500 a year and uh, had a very nice home. And, you know, you can kind of uh, assess whether or not you're playing a high school team or you're playing against uh, Alabama. Right. So right. you decide who, who you're going up against. And I knew that I was going up against a, a possible adversary here that's going to have an attorney, mm-hmm. yada, yada, yada. So you, you, you do a quick assessment and say, you know, uh, how do I want to do this? So I, I got all that recording about the conversation with this woman. And the first thing this guy says is to her, he says, do you work for the wildlife department? He didn't even say hello. Mm. He said, do you work for the wildlife department? And uh, she goes, no, I don't work for the wildlife department. What, you know, why, why would you ask something like that? And he goes, so you're not a game warden. You're not helping game wardens. And she goes, no, I don't know what you're talking about. I, I was calling about the deer uh, heads for sale and uh, he goes yeah well what about them and and she said well you know we're wanting to decorate a cabin and we're looking for something like that and those look nice and so forth and so uh, you know he he's making a deal with her and said uh well uh i'll sell them to you if you'll sign a document for me that says you plan to cut them up and make knife handles out of them because <laughs> in oklahoma it was legal to have to sell antlers if they're cut up as knife handles or if they're like in the form of a shed where there's no skull. Uh, And I explained, I explained to the Kansas game wardens or anybody else that wants to debate this. If you've got a set of antlers, let's say 150 inch deer, a five by five, if you're selling the 10 point rack, 
is it worth more than it is if you sell me a five-point shed and a five-point shed? And the answer is yes. In every case, it's going to be worth more mm. because you're selling an entire rack of a trophy deer. Mm-hmm. And, and, and so for that reason, Oklahoma allows the sheds and they allow the cut-ups and they allow sawed-offs and all this other stuff, but no racks because we don't want to put a market value gotcha. on trophy heads. Gotcha. So this guy knew that and he was telling this woman that was making the conversation for me that, Hey, if, if you'll sign this thing saying you'll cut it all up and everything, then I'll go ahead and sell them to you. So he thought that was going to make a loophole for him and it doesn't, but that's what he was saying on, on the phone conversation. Well, meanwhile, he's still negotiating with Todd Vandvert in Washington about shipping him antlers. And Todd had a voluminous text of transcript of their conversations. I mean, it was an inch thick of back and forth conversations. And this guy told him, he said, Hey, we just started bear hunting season in Oklahoma. I can get you gallbladders now. And he said, uh, what else do you make money with? He said, what else do you sell buy and sell? Or are you interested in? He said, we got a lot of bald eagles in Oklahoma now. <laughs> he said, uh, you know, what, 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 what do you need? And, and, and Todd was telling him, you know, the Koreans want this and the in native Americans want that. And, yeah. and, uh, you know, the Asians want the gallbladders. And every time Todd would say something that, that was being bought, uh, or on the market somewhere in the international trade, this guy said, well, I can get that. I'll get that for you. And, uh, he was going to provide venison meat for uh, Todd and Todd said, now, listen, we don't want that, that nasty old ground meat and round roast and all that stuff. He said, the only thing we traffic in is uh, strictly backstrap. You know, we want filet mignons. And, and I, uh, he said, all my customers are high end people. And, and so the guy said, well, I can get you all the deer you want. He said, me and my buddies, will we'll, we'll bring you some steaks, uh, sell you some steaks. So this guy was all about making money. Mm-hmm. It didn't matter to him. You know, he had uh, in the end result, he ended up shipping five racks that were all about 160 to 190 mm. inch deer to to Todd. Some of them, one came from Indiana, one came from Nebraska, one came from Kansas, uh, some were from Oklahoma. And story in his defense, he has a story for every one of them. I found this one on the road. This one was given to me by somebody I don't remember and that sort of thing. But this was all after the fact that he had advertised in Oklahoma, he had been contacted by me uh, through a covert. He was doing all this stuff with Todd on the side and, and he shipped all this stuff to Todd. And Todd shipped the money to him. And, and then, then I got all the evidence. Todd ships me all these racks in, a, in the same box. They all come just in the same box. They came from the guy in Tulsa. And uh, so we've got all the goods we need to prosecute this guy. And then it's time to put the paperwork together to go arrest this guy, right? We've got Mm -hmm. all the goods basically that we need. Unbeknownst to me, in the process of all this juggling around, this guy and his wife moved to Dallas. (laughs) They up sold their house and they moved to Dallas. I'm scoping out this house with the sheriff's office and we're getting ready to do a search warrant. We've, you know how, when you do a search warrant, the judges, the courts, they want you to take pictures. The DA wants you to have photographs of the house. They want to know that you're going in the correct house, the right house, the right guy, and you don't do anything wrong and all that. Well, I had all that, but unbeknownst to me, a new family lived in this house. (laughs) It wasn't my suspect. And lucky, lucky for me and a lot of my tail feathers, we did a little last minute checking and we saw that, Hey, this is not the family, the search warrant family that's names listed on the title of this house. Right. Oh, so, man. so anyway, that's, that saved us from kicking in the door and having one of those stories that we all that <laughs> nightmare that we all hear about. <laughs> so come to find out, we found where this guy moved and we knew he lived in, uh, in the, in one of the suburb communities of Dallas. Uh, so we located where he was at. I talked to the DA and the DA says, well, no, we're not going to extradite him. No, of course, but here's what we can do. And we're going to file charges on him in the state of Oklahoma and we'll have an outstanding warrant on him forever. And after he doesn't take care of the case, we're going to revoke his lifetime hunting license. And we're also going to notify Texas. And of course we're in the compact as one of the compact States. When we revoke him here in Oklahoma, he's revoked in almost every state in the union so Mr. Hotshot that gets all these deer racks and all this other hunting he likes to do around the country, he can't go anywhere. That's right. So, you know, we, we had some teeth to bite him with all the way down in Texas. Mm-hmm. And so 
the interesting thing about this, and again, this goes back to guys that just think they're so damn smart and they just want to fight with you and they want to argue and, and they think they know better. This guy got a warrant for his arrest. Uh, I've got plenty of evidence on him, but he lives in Texas now. And the DA gives me the okay to go to Texas and write him tickets. He, he, he said, he said, I want you to write him tickets. I want you to explain to him the situation and tell him that he needs to come up here and take care of it. And we're going to take care of it and we'll keep it, you know, and he'll clean it up. Mm -hmm. And I got that cleared with my supervisor, believe it or not, they okayed me to take the Oklahoma game warden truck and drive to Dallas. And uh, I took a partner with me and I had some feds that I knew. And of course, down in Texas, um, the feds down there are good. And they brought in a Texas game warden with them. And we all showed up on this guy's, front porch and we're talking a half million dollar house and in, in dallas that's nothing to sneeze at i mean mm -hmm. it was no little puny little house in a puny neighborhood this guy's got some money we go to his house we, we met and we had lunch we talked about the case i told these guys what the story was and uh, they said okay well let's go so we go to his house and it's a sunday afternoon and uh, i don't know when he's going to be home or whatever but i'm kind of hoping on a sunday afternoon i catch him there and sure enough he was one of one of his kids, a teenage boy that had been posing, holding the rack uh, that was advertised in Craigslist was the young man that answered the door. Here's all these game wardens, right? There's, <laughs> there's three guys in uniform and an officer there that's in plain clothes. And he identified himself as Fish and Wildlife Service. We need to talk to your dad. And uh, he, he kind of puzzled. And and uh, he says, uh, he says, Dad somebody for you. And he just yells back into the house and inside this house, it probably looks like it's about 4,000 square feet. I can see big deer heads all over the place in 20, 20, 30 foot ceilings. You know, he comes out to the front door and the boy's gone and the defendant, he comes out of the front door and he, he sees it's game wardens and he closes the door behind himself. His family's in the house mm -hmm. and he closes the door behind himself. He says, uh, he says, can I help you, officer? And uh, I, I tell him who I am. And, and he knows who I am because, you know, we, we both were from Tulsa and all that. And he knew who the game warden was and all mm -hmm. that. And I told him, I said, uh, trying to think of what his name was. Let's just call him Steve. I said, Steve, uh, yada, yada, yada. You did this. You did that. And uh, I'm here because it's illegal to offer those things for sale. And, and in this particular case, you actually sold them across state lines and that makes it federal mm -hmm. and uh, uh, so forth and so on. And, and he sticks, he sticks his hand out like he's seen an old friend and he wants to shake my hand. And he says, Carlos, you're Carlos Gomez. <laughs> Why? We've got mutual friends. And he starts naming off people that we both know. And, and he said, uh, it's nice to finally meet you. And, <laughs> and, um, you know, it just, it, it's like all this other stuff just went over his head. And I think it was sucking the oxygen out of his brain. Yeah. And he's, he's like, um, so what's this all about now? And, uh, and, and I tell him, I said, well, uh, I'm here to write you some tickets for, uh, such and such. And, uh, you know, if you want to discuss it, I'm, I'm happy to answer questions for you and so forth. I need you to read, I need to read you your Miranda warning. And I did all that. And, and so now we're ready to talk and, these other guys have introduced themselves. And I said, the feds are here because this is federal and the state is here because you're going to be revoked across the United States. You know, you need to understand that this is one of those things that you're going to have to come back to Tulsa and get it taken care of. And, and I hate to say this, but I got to back up a second, Wayne, and tell you that I called him and had a conversation with him before I went to Texas. Mm -hmm. He was in Texas already, but I had a conversation with him. And I told him I was going to write him some tickets for these five deer racks and all this. And he asked me what it was going to cost. And I said, I think it's going to be if you work with me and just settle this thing and save, save us all the trouble, it's going to cost you probably a couple thousand dollars. Mm -hmm. Around 20. I, I talked to the DA and I think we, we decided that it was going to be $2,500. Yeah. And, you know, I think that's still kind of chicken feed for, for what this guy had done and how he'd done it. Mm -hmm. And all the stuff that, with Washington and, and transcripts of all the other wildlife that he, he never trafficked in those things to our guy, Todd, but he definitely talked about it. So 2,500 was a pretty fair spank for, for selling a deer head. But at the same time, you know, here's a guy that really thought he wanted to be a big player right. that needed to, you know, get shown a little uh, modesty. So 
anyway, when I had that conversation with him over the phone, I remember he kind of said, uh, you know, I'm going to talk to my lawyer and I'll get back to you. And he never got back to me. Right. So that's when we ended up driving to Texas. Mm-hmm. And now we're on the front we, porch. We up the ante. And, uh, <laughs> and, 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 and now what's it going to cost? You know, and, and I got to tell you that when I explained all this to him and all these officers are standing there, he literally laid down on the porch. I mean, you know, there's there's a tier level of steps off this big house. It's about five five steps that, that sprawl out for like this estate style plantation style house. And mm-hmm. we're we're stacked up on the steps and he's laying down there at almost eye level with us laying on the top tier. And he's just laying there just feigning like he's crying his head his head off he goes oh i'm so sorry i was wrong I'm, i can't believe i did this it's so stupid and i just want this to go away and he just he just kept crying <laughs> in his arms you know and, and at that point i told him i said steve you you get it together you know we're not going to put you in jail uh we're going to talk about re- resolving this matter and we've got a solution and all this so the four thousand dollar option is now the option on the table he said, well, it's Sunday. I can't get that kind of money today. And I said, that's fine. I said, you can get it. You can get it and send it tomorrow. I'm going to write you these tickets. You sign these tickets. Uh, here's your copy of the tickets. You've got a, you've got an appearance date. You know, you need to uh, handle this thing and so forth and so on. So anyway, he, he agrees to everything. Oh man, I'm just so glad you're going to let me work this out. And I'm so sorry. And I just want this to go away. So we're there probably an hour. He gets his, he gets his tickets and he signs them all, and we're we're driving away. And, and I'm probably at fault here a little bit because I probably shouldn't have been negotiating or talking with people on this deal. But the next thing I know on the drive back to Oklahoma, my phone rings, my cell phone rings, and it's his father. Now, this guy's about 40 years old, <laughs> but his father is calling me about the case. It so happens that his father is a retired border patrol officer Mm. and his father, having been a federal employee, law enforcement, he starts telling me, I know how things work and I know how this is going to go. And he starts wanting to know all the details ins and out of my case. And uh, I feel like what he's doing is he's kind of probing for a soft spot. My dad used to always tell me, beware the guy that walks up and starts patting you on the back, Carlos, because he's just feeling for a soft spot. <laughs> and uh, I like that. This guy, was, this guy was throwing the law enforcement thing out there and, and talking about his boy, and his boy's a good boy, and he, you know, he didn't mean any harm by it. And he, he wants to know all about the case. And I explained to him about how, look, this thing started out, it was probably going to be about three or $400, and he made it go to $2,000, and now he's made it go to $4,000. And it's going to go federal, and that's just state. And it's going to go federal if, if he wants to push it that far as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're not trying to be bullies here, but here's the thing, you know, and I explained to him what the boy had done and how, you know, I tried to resolve it with him. And anyway, he kind of acted like that, you know, we were railroading his son. He didn't feel like that, uh, you know, we were showing all the cards and we were being above the table about the whole thing. And, he just didn't know about all this. So he's going to talk to his son and see. Well, at that point, I started getting my doubts about what, you know, was he really going to do? Was he going to get the money and, and, and send the money to the courthouse tomorrow? Or what it was he really going to do? Because he needed to give him a plea of guilty and all this. So mm-hmm. the next day came and the DA gets a call. Uh, nothing happened for about a week. And after about a week, the defendant has an attorney that's in Tulsa, call the prosecutor and start negotiating with the prosecutor about the case. Mm -hmm. And luckily I had one of those prosecutors. He wasn't a hunter, but he knew the story about how this whole case had been drugged through the, through the mud for a while and how this guy had multiple choices and chances. So he tells the defense attorney that, uh, you know, here's the deal. He's getting, he's getting a fair break at four grand when we have him do uh, such and such. And uh, we could suspend his license and we could get it for a number of years and we've got multiple charges and we've got federal stuff. And, you know, he just needs to settle this thing out. We want him to appear in person and yada, yada, yada. So they negotiate back and forth for a while and ended up, he basically did not do anything that he said he would do the day he cried on his porch. That's when warrants got issued for his arrest. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the defense attorney being involved, the defense attorney had him come up to Tulsa and appear in person 
the judge gave him, I want to say, about $12,000 in fines. He, it, one of the most important things to this defendant was that he didn't lose his privilege to hunt. And uh, so that's what we conceded to him was that he didn't lose his lifetime license even for a year, uh, which maybe he should have. But he did end up taking, like I say, what would have been maybe a few hundred dollar ticket, uh, 2000 and then 4000 and then 12000 Yeah. So, again, it's not us trying to go for the throat on somebody. It's some guy that just says, you know what? You make your best case. Go for it. Mm-hmm. And uh, and generally, when we're I at had, that point, Carlos, we have all we have all the information we need when we go see the guy. We, we, we have all our cards. You, you, you laid them all I out. Mean, I'm not going to lie. Wayne, there's times that you bluffed. Yeah, absolutely. Right? Yeah. I've bluffed many a time. There's times I got caught but bluffing. You know what? <laughs> I, I, know, I know what I can prove. I may not have it right there to slap you in the face with it, but right. I know what I can prove, mm-hmm. and I know what I can come back with. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and sometimes you've got some of the evidence, not all the evidence, and if he wants to make you do more work, I'm going to charge you more fee. Mm-hmm. It's it just it, it, it's a pay-as-we-go kind of a deal. So it's capitalism. If you're gonna, if you're, yeah, if you're going to do that, <laughs> You're going you're gonna to cost me more time than I'm going to cost you more money. Mm-hmm. And work with me and let's get this thing resolved. I had another guy that uh, uh, this was back in the check station days, too, where we had physical check stations. I had, a, I had a guy call me and he said, I go to church with this guy. We're good friends. He and his wife and me and my wife, we double date together. We're on a bowling league together. We're best buddies. We go to church. And he said, I am a devout sportsman. I don't believe in breaking game laws, but this guy keeps poaching deer. And I've been talking to him for years, trying to get him to stop and he won't stop. And it's gotten to the point where I just can't take it anymore. He said, we sit together in church. He said, this guy prays right next to me about praying, the, you know, but forgiving me for my sins, but here he is and he won't stop poaching. He said, I don't know what to do. And, and he's calling me anonymously, this friend is. Mm-hmm. And he said, he's, he, he refers to this guy as Woody. And that's a nickname for, the, for a similar thing to the guy's name. And he said, Woody called me this morning and asked me to help him retrieve a deer. And he said, it was a giant 10-point buck, anyone that we'd all be so proud of. And he said, he shot it from the road out the car window. Uh, off private property there's a posted sign right there and he called me to come help him drag this big sucker out of the woods and he said when i got there and i saw the i i said yeah sure i'll come help you get your deer out and he said when i got there i saw what the scenario was and he said i wanted nothing to do with it Mm. and he said he said that's the final straw i can't take it anymore (laughs) he said you got to stop this guy he gives me the details about this buck and the, and he says he uses a processor down in, in, in and it's a whole county away. He goes to some other processor somewhere else. Mm-hmm. And uh, so now I know where the deer is, and I go to that processor. And processors on opening day of gun season, or whatever, they're covered up in deer. There's deer everywhere. There's tags hanging everywhere. Uh, there's skull racks and hanging everywhere, and and there's meat getting chopped in all directions, you know. And so I go in, and explain to the guy, hey, I'm looking for a particular deer on a particular person. And I don't really want to tell you who it is. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to involve you in this because if there's an illegal deer, technically you're in violation of possession of an illegal deer. Mm-hmm. You're in possession of it because when you accept a deer, you have the obligation to verify that it's a legal deer. Does it have a carcass tag? Was it checked in? Is it all okay? So I said, I'm not going to try to get you in any kind of trouble here, but I need to look at your deer and your deer tags and your deer hunters and your checkbooks. See, you know, those guys keep a ledger on who right. turns in what and uh, what they, how they want it cut up and what mm-hmm. their phone number is and all that. So I look at his books and I recognize the name of the guy and I, and I see the deer and all that. And so I said, I need to look in your freezer and in your, in your cooler and see the deer that are hanging. I see this deer and, and it fits the description this guy told me about and all that. And then while I'm there, I start looking in the book and this guy's name is in there like four or five times bringing <laughs> deer to this processor. And I said, Hey, we got a problem here. This guy keeps bringing you deer. And I know you realize that he's bringing you multiple deer. Here's your books. I'm going to have to seize this book. 
you've, you've got him in here for taking lots of deer from the guy. Well, the guy, the processor ends up confessing and rolling over on his, his, his customer that, okay, look, here's the deal. There's a lot of needy people. We know needy people. And these needy people need some meat to eat. And he's given these deer to these needy people. And in my story, in my case that I wrote about on this particular case, I called it tough love for Robin Hood. I called him Robin Hood because he's stealing from the rich. That's the state. That's uh, us with all of our deer. And uh -huh. he's giving it to the poor. And the poor any, is, is anybody that wants a deer that needs deer meat. He was giving them deer. So here he is going out shooting deer and he's cutting off the racks and he's keeping the racks for himself. And he's given the venison to the processor to process. And the, the person that's receiving the free deer would pay the processing fee and get a package of, you know, get, get a whole animal wrapped up for themselves. Mm. So in his mind, he was doing a good deed by providing deer meat to all these needy families and come to find out there weren't all needy families. It was just first person that raised their hand, said they wanted a deer. He was giving them a deer, but you know, and would pay for the processing. A, there was a widow woman that got one on one of those deer and so forth. Well, come to find out this guy, uh, the processor gave me everything I needed to know about this particular deer. Now, there were other deer there, three or four other deer that he had processed, but I had him on this one deer. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now, these other deer were all checked in as archery kills. In, in the state of Oklahoma, six deer was your limit with archery. So he hadn't exceeded the limit, but this one was also called uh, an archery and it was a gun. Okay. Mm -hmm. So I had the violation on this one buck, although I knew it was shot from the road, the witness friend did not want to reveal that he had told. So I had to keep him out of it. Mm -hmm. And how I found to find the deer at the processor, that was going to be my private business. Bottom line to it was I was just going to prosecute him for lying on the check station, shooting a deer with arch with a rifle and calling it an archery. So it was an illegal deer. And, and I was going to let the processor slide for being a cooperative guy too. You know, trying to be reasonable. Processor gave me what I needed. So now I go back and I call Woody. And I say, Woody, this is Carlos. And I'm calling you about the deer you checked in down at Haskell today. And I hear this long silence on the phone. And he goes, well, what about it? What do you want to know? And I said, well, Woody, listen, I, I know what you're doing. And I, I got the whole scoop on, on the deer thing that you're shooting deer. You're giving them away and all that. And I said, you can't do that. You know what you're doing is illegal. You, uh, you, you shot a deer with a rifle. You checked it in as an archery. You can't do that. I got to give you some tickets. He, sa he said, uh, you know, and, and, and I'll save you a lot of back and forth. While I'm having this conversation with him, Wayne, I'm driving to his house. <laughs> now, my day started at about 5 a.m. And now it's about 9 p.m. Mm -hmm. And Carlos is pretty shot. Mm -hmm. I'm pretty tired and I'm pretty pooped out, burned out. I've been chasing all kinds of rabbit trails, doing all kinds of stuff all day, handling all kinds of trespass calls while trying to chase down Woody's illegal deer. And now I'm headed to his house and I know where he lives. I've got his address and all that. It's like 9 p.m. And I'm saying, Woody, listen, I'm going to write you a couple of tickets and this is going to be the end of this deal. And uh, hopefully you'll learn a lesson not do this anymore. And so he says to me, and you always know when a guy's kind of kind of knows he's caught he always says what's this going to cost <laughs> you know he, he wants to know how, how much a fine would this be if a guy did do it yeah that sort of things I, I said look i'm going to be fair with you but i'm not going to be easy on you and uh you and i both know that that this is a long time coming that you've been doing stuff see you know i'm, I'm not telling him where i know what i know but but his church buddies letting me know about all the years and all the stuff mm -hmm. so i said look this is going to cost you about $2,000. And all you're basically doing is buying a big television entertainment center stuff that you ain't never going to watch or listen to. And, 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 and you're going to have a payment plan and that's going to be the end of this. I'm not going to take your license. I'm not going to put you in jail, but you're going to have a, a, a little bit of a fine to pay. And I hope you stop doing the poaching thing. He goes, I can't afford that. <laughs> that's too much. He said, I said, look, You've heard do it the hard way, the easy way. This is the easy way. It's as easy as it gets. And and I, I was really exhausted. And I said, I really don't want to do any more with this thing. I really just want to make make this thing go away just like you probably do. 
work with me. Let's do the $2,000 tickets and let me go home. I pull up in his driveway and I'm sitting in his driveway. My headlights are facing his garage door. I can see him standing in the living room on the phone. He can see, he says, is that you in my driveway? And I said, yeah, that's me in your driveway. <laughs> and we're talking on the phone. And I said, come out here, get in my truck, sign these tickets. Let's be done with this deal. He says, you're, you're just going to have to do it some other way, I guess, because I can't afford $2,000. And I pleaded with him. I said, Woody, listen, don't make me do it that way. I don't want to do it that way. Long story short, I drove home that night. Uh, his church buddy calls me and he says, I don't know what happened at Woody's house, but he has brought over 20 some deer racks. They're in my garage. He's got a half a dozen shoulder mounts in my garage, four or five turkey tails. I don't know. He's got a whole bunch of stuff that he's brought to my house. And he said, he knows you're coming after him and he wants me to hide this stuff for him. So now I've got all this stuff that the church guys, you know, little, little by little, he's becoming more involved. And he said, I didn't know what to tell him. I said, yeah, he could leave it here for now. But he said, I'm telling you up front, I'm not helping him hide stuff. I'm just letting <laughs> you know what we got here. And he said, cause I don't want to be prosecuted for this too. I do a search warrant and it's to, it's to help cover the guy. Mm -hmm. I do a search warrant on the friend and give him a copy of the search warrant, and I collect all the stuff from his house. So now I got all this illegal stuff from, from Woody uh, through a search warrant from his church friend. The, the case is starting to explode. I got all this stuff I need to uh, figure out. I literally found where he had killed 16 deer in that year. Wow. And he had checked all these deer in, in different check stations around a five-county area. <laughs> And, and I'm sorry, he had killed him in a five county area. He had checked him in a three county area near his home and took him to two or three different processors and was giving him away to different people. Of those 16 deer that year that I was able to prove, 14 of them were bucks. Wow. Two, only two of them were does. And he's killing them with a crossbow. Okay. It's not hard to kill a deer with a crossbow. And the season in Oklahoma is 115 days long. So a crossbow, I mean, you know, a guy can do all kinds of damage if he wants. So, Anyway, the case continues to grow, and, and I had a spreadsheet, and I was trying to keep my, my scruples about all the places that he had hunted and all the places that he had checked deer and all the places that he had killed deer. Was it a buck or a doe? Was it, mm -hmm. you know, some of them were checked as muzzleloader. Some of them were checked as rifle. Some of them were checked as bow, and, the, and on and on and on. It was quite the jumbled mess trying to uh, unwrap these 16 deer. And needless to say, it was a legal pad and it was written in tiny print. This is before, you know, I was using a lot of computer stuff and all that. Right. But anyways, so I get all this, all these facts and figures and I go to the prosecutor and I get all these charges on this guy. This guy worked at an American Airlines factory. We've got American Airlines stations here in Tulsa mm -hmm. that does a lot of the work on those uh, airliners. And it's a pretty, pretty big operation, at least for COVID and shut down the airlines and all that. So anyway, a lot of people worked in this factory and, and they all knew Woody and they all knew Woody's exploits. And there was a bunch of guys there that were pretty sickened by the stuff that Woody was always bragging about. Right. I didn't know all that. I mean, every once in a while I'd get a call. Hey, we got a guy over here and he keeps bragging about, you know, but they didn't have any facts. They couldn't right. tell me where he killed it. They couldn't tell me, you know, what he had exactly done, but he's always showing off pictures of deer that he had killed. So there were a lot of sportsmen in those places that were pretty turned off by the bragging of the poacher. So anyway, I know where he works. I know when he works. I know where he lives. I know everything about him. It's probably been six months in the making of all this investigating, all this back and forth with the prosecutor and all this, uh, evidence gathered from these check stations and, and the processors. And I got statements from some people that, uh, had received deer and, and different things, you know, the processors knew who they were. And right. so I basically, like you just said, when you go see somebody, you go see them when you got all, all you're loaded for bear. Mm -hmm. That doesn't mean I'm going to put your head in the guillotine, but I could, if you're going to force it. Right. And, uh, I told that guy in the driveway that night, $2,000, don't make me do all this stuff. I knew what I was in for mm -hmm. if, if, it, if it turned out. Um, and it turned out to be way worse than I ever dreamed. So, well, in these 16 deer, when we go to prosecute him, I've got arrest warrants for him in three counties. 
in three different counties, I had warrants for him. He was going to go to three different jails. <laughs> and, and I went to the, uh, to the American Airlines on purpose. And I can claim officer safety. You know, if I'm going to go serve a warrant to a guy at his house, I stand the chance of facing a 12-gauge shotgun at the front door or something like that. So, you know, for officer safety, I don't really want to go drag him out of his house. And I don't know when and where I'm going to be able to find him to gather him up at the local convenience store. But I know where he's working. So mm -hmm. I go to his work. I go to the administration. I go to the security people. I show them the search warrants. I explain to them everything. They knew all about Woody. They'd heard all about Woody's exploits, too. And, and uh, those guys are like shaking their heads, grinning, saying, man, we thought you was never going to come. Uh. And so I sh everybody's got copies of the papers. It's all legit. Honestly, I would have loved to have been the guy to walk out there on the floor amongst all the machinery and all the workers and been the guy to cuff him and parade him out. I mean, you know, that's the kind of stuff Hollywood does in those movies when they're capturing the guy and everybody gets to see the perp walk. But I didn't get to do that. Those guys said, listen, we want you to wait here in the office. We're going to go get him. Uh, we're not going to tell him why we're going to get him. We're going to tell him, hey, they need to see you in the office. And we don't want to make a scene. And we're going to march him up here to the office. And then you can serve him with the warrants and do everything up here. And I said, okay, that's fine. However you guys want to do it, it's fine by me. And uh, so I'm sitting there in the office and I'm waiting behind the door. I'm looking out of a window and I see them go get him and talk to him. And, you know, other people are noticing, you know, it's kind of unusual when two or three uh, administrators with a security officer comes to your workstation and, and tells yep. you, hey, they need you in the office. You know, so everybody's kind of hesitating from their workstation watching Woody get the march, you know. But he comes marching up there. And as he comes through the door, he's laughing and he's cutting jokes and he's he's acting like they're old buddies and they're all talking about stuff. And when he walks in the office and they close the door, he sees me stand there behind the door and his mouth drops open. You see the blood drain out of his face a little bit. And he looks at me and he goes, so this is what this is all about. And I said, yeah. I said, Woody, we talked and you knew this was coming. He said, well, I thought you wouldn't be this low. I figured you'd be nice enough to call me and tell me to meet you somewhere. You know, I would have turned myself in. You didn't have to do it this way. You're just trying to humiliate me. I know what you're doing. And I said, listen, you said I could do it this. I wanted to do it this way. You said do it that way. Mm -hmm. I said in the system we live in, you're a defendant. I got an arrest warrant. And that doesn't mean we do buddy, buddy arrangements. This is the way it works. When right. you get an arrest warrant, you get handcuffed, you get transported to jail. Right. So I need you to put your hands behind your back, yada, yada, yada. And so anyway, we ended up cuffing him there and, and uh, he had a copy of the warrant and had all these charges and so forth. And we're driving to the jail and, and I intentionally was taking him to the jail that was the furthest jail first. <laughs> and, and the jail we're going to first was oh, probably about a 40 minute drive. And I probably was driving the minimum speed limit. You know, I was probably going 50, 55 mile an hour the whole way. Uh -huh. And he's sitting on his handcuffs. Yeah, I'm chicken shit. I want him to enjoy the handcuffs on the ride to the jail as we talk. And I got a tape recorder going on the dashboard and he sees it there. And we're talking about this whole deal and he's sitting on his handcuffs and he's, he's talking about what a Christian he is. And he's talking about how, he thought he was helping the wildlife department. We've got too many deer. You guys needed more deer to be, be killed. I was helping the wildlife department. And I said, you know, killing 14 bucks and two does is not necessarily helping the deer management program. <laughs> yeah. On the way there, you know, he, he screams at the, at the, at the tape recorder. Once he leans over and screams, I'm not a poacher. He went to jail there as the timing the, the bad luck for him timing. He got booked in on a Friday evening. He didn't get out till Monday. And then he got uh, uh, transported on Monday to the next county. And then he was there for a few days, bonded out there. And then he got transported to the third county. But out of those 16 deer, he got prosecuted for four deer. Mm. And he ended up pay paying about $4,800. And he ended up uh, having to pay a defense attorney. Right. But you, you, you take the wins and the losses as, as you can take them and you know he could have got off for about 2000 and not been any worse for the wear well he ended up uh i saw him at an archery shop about oh a couple years after that and he was shooting a compound bow 
that he was buying. And, and when I walked in the door, he acted like we were old friends. And he says, look what I'm doing. I'm buying a compound bow. I'm going to do it the right way from now on. I, 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 I failed to tell you that back in the day when he was using the crossbow, it was only allowed by people that had a disability. Mm-hmm. Uh, they've loosened that up now to where everybody in Oklahoma, anybody can use a crossbow. And of course, it's been a, uh, a boon opportunity for people that want to hunt, period. Right. Uh, 115 days with a, with, a, with a bow, it's a pretty effective tool. But mm-hmm. anyway, he, uh, he thought he was, he was showing me that he was becoming a sportsman. He's, he's doing it the right way now. He's shooting a compound bow, and he thought I'd be proud of him for that. And he said, I know you're a bow hunter and I know you like bow hunting. And he said, I've decided I'm going to do it the right way. And I'm using a compound bow now. And, and I, I said, hey, that's great. Glad to hear that. He, he ended up committing suicide. He ended up hanging himself. This is m- maybe neither here nor there, but it's ironic that I've had three different deer, deer poachers commit suicide and hang themselves. Not as a result of me, but I think that there's some kind of correlation in the brain and what you're doing in your judgments and in your crazy behaviors and stuff that uh, uh, cause you to maybe act a little loose screwed at, at, at some point. I had another case where I arrested a, a Walgreens pharmacist uh, for deer poaching, and it was a big case. I'll tell you some other time. But that case in, uh, ended up getting his brother in trouble, too. His brother was a poacher with him, and his brother worked at a factory. And his brother had poached some deer too. So I ended up doing charges on his brother too. But his brother, not the pharmacist, but the brother ended up hanging himself. This guy ended up, uh, like like I said, just making the whole thing escalate. You know, they just right. don't want to take the medicine. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, nobody likes to take medicine. No, But sometimes right. you got to take the medicine because, you know, you got to make this all this rash go away. If you do the time or you do the crime, you got to be willing to do the time. Is that what they say? Yeah. Yep. That's true. Man, Carlos, 41 years of uh, service gives you a lot of stories, a lot of great stories. Well, I appreciate that. Yeah. Really, really enjoyed sitting down with you for a couple hours here and hearing those and, uh, you know, your dedication. You're still still fired up and just like us uh i think it's it's a great thing thank you for your work with nawia for sure and uh international uh game warden magazine uh certainly uh lends to your service as well thanks a lot really appreciated it and uh yeah and maybe we'll do another one another time i appreciate that wayne i've enjoyed visiting with you and uh uh everybody here in oklahoma knows that uh uh, I've got this, uh, I've got this curse and I've got this, <laughs> this, uh, uh, I don't know what gift. Some people call it a gift. Some people call it a curse of, of gab. They joke that if you ever want a confession, just lock them inside of a car with Carlos <laughs> and, uh, you know, after an hour or two, they want out and, uh, they'll, they'll, they'll sign whatever you want them to sign. So, um, <laughs> I, I, I do appreciate blabbing about some of these cases. I think they're fun. They are. Uh, and there'll be good stories on my old rocking chair days. Absolutely. And thank you for sharing them with, you know, the, the Warden's Watch podcast uh, listeners, too, because that's they love Game Warden stories. They love to hear that. Um, so thanks so much. And if there's anything in closing, I always say it's as much your show as our show. And uh, if there's anything else you want to add or, or not, uh, feel free. Well, I think I've added more than you probably were prepared for. So <laughs> I'll just I'll just leave leave it to you and and uh, look forward to an opportunity to visit with you and and uh, uh, Mr. Norris also and uh, um, appreciate what you guys do with the podcast. I think I wish there was uh, more and more avenues for us to promote fishing game enforcement. I think you know there's a lot of discussion about hunting being a dying sport. Uh, as we begin to age participant wise and the game departments and the game warden careers are right there harnessed to the outcome of what happens with our sportsmen. So mm-hmm. I think we've got to uh, point. do more of, of uh, being sportsmen, uh, promoting wildlife, promoting management, wildlife law enforcement and people that don't hunt and fish don't understand they wouldn't have the fishing game that they have without hunters and without uh, fishing game dollars and without fish and wildlife agencies 
that have game wardens. Uh, I think it's it's been an important career, and I think it's an important uh, mission for all of us, whether you're a sportsman or a game warden, to partake, participate as well as protect. Yes. So I appreciate the opportunities. To very, talk about very that. well said. Very well said. Please join me, Game Warden Wayne Saunders, and other Game Wardens on our adventures protecting wildlife, saving lives, and having fun, all while serving the public and the natural resources of our planet. Listen to the tales and experiences of those who work in the outdoors while being entertained with stories about encounters with poachers, wildlife investigation, murder investigation, near-death experiences, search and rescue missions, wildlife interactions from game wardens around the country and around the world. When I retired, I realized I couldn't let go of that legacy, but rather wanted to share the passion, the commitment, and the stories of those men and women that call themselves game wardens. This is Game Warden, Wayne Saunders, and this is Warden's Watch.